you know, people move, you know, it's July, it's the summer month, it's the vacation month, people are in and out, and they're all over, and we have uh, people that move in and move out, and this uh, morning we sadly have to see a couple go that are moving to San Diego, and um, I know that many of uh, you will miss them, as, as will I, they are blessed saints in our body, and to that point, I bring the saintly family of the Lynn family, please come forward, they stand up, yes. And where is, where is your son? Is your son? They are, uh, he went to the bathroom? That's no excuse. Okay, everybody to the loo. Anyway, um, we w- I want to make sure before we pray over them that you get this invitation. It's for a barbecue tonight, later tonight. If you know, have known them or the lens have been impressed upon you, uh, that you could come to this. It's uh at Dave and Dee's house, and so these should be around. Just ask for them or ask at the counter in the back. But uh, this is my chance to embarrass them publicly. And you remember when we met a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And so uh, it's hard. I know it's hard for them, and it's hard for us to see them go. But uh, we just we love them dearly. But there are a lot of heathens in San Diego, and you really, you really got a job cut out for you. So we're like sending them out as ambassadors, as ambassadors and missionaries into the deepest, darkest part of San Diego. Um, But they have two children who are both going to school down there as well. So uh, I don't know. Is there anything you wanted to say, Tom, if I could publicly embarrass you? (laughs) Tom is also an elder in our church, and he's a great guy. And I don't know what else to say about you except that you're, you're sorely missed. I know I did right there. Eleven years here, and uh, you know I put my spot in for I now. never know until this day. moment, because you. you're special. <laughs> you are special. You know I've uh, been telling some people that for the last uh, month or two, I, I've been kind of numb to this whole process because work's been crazy, and I've been selling a house and buying a house, and I feel like we go down to San Diego every seven to ten days to look at houses down there. It's a lot of driving, and. Uh, Plus, uh, you know, packing and all that stuff, all the logistics of all that. I've just been overwhelmed and a lot of stress, but at the same time, probably you know, not stressed out because I'm, I have this tough work. Um, but this morning, I woke up and uh, I wasn't numb anymore. I was um, very nervous and emotional and I'm a little choked up right now. Love these galleries. Yeah. That's right. Some of us here like to vacation in San Diego. So we'll <laughs> let's let's have everybody stand and let's pray for the Lynn family. Heavenly Father, uh, they are blessed saints, and we just love them dearly, and we ask that you would use them, that there is a plentiful harvest for their souls down there. And so I pray that you would use them as ambassadors more than even uh, the move for 
uh, college or for career, it's all about you. And they really have sensed your spirit. And I just pray that you would bless them and their families and just use them in a mighty way. And they will be missed, Father. We don't always like these things, God, but we love you. And we are willing to do a, any sacrifice for the sake of your kingdom. And uh, we love them, and we ask that you would bless them and keep them safe. In your name, amen. I had to put you on the spot. All these years. <laughs> and your son got out of that because he's in the... Maybe I'll just bring him up individually, Tom. I'm just going to pull him out and... The other thing I wanted to mention before we get started this morning is this car care day. This car care day is really hinging upon you. I pray everybody in the church, grab two of these. Bring your car. I mean, we've got the people. I believe, Dan, we have the people to do the service. Bring the car. Bring your neighbor. Bring your neighbor's car. My heart, my heart is really for single parents that may need their cars worked on or looked at, you know, or, or actually college students who don't actually look at their car, and then it gets all worn out, and you know, that anybody with a car uh, we'd like to fill that three hours up with cars lined up to get serviced if if we have to turn cars away then that's a blessing you know that just shows us we've done our job but our job is to invite get those automobiles here and i know there are some automobiles out there that need to take have a good looking at by the way so anyway uh if uh, you're with us this morning and this is your first time um we pray that you would join in with us with the counter or the barbecue this afternoon uh, it's a wonderful summer month. We're going to have our picnic, I think, later on as well. So uh, join us with those. You know what? Before we get started, could you turn to somebody maybe that you don't know and just say it's really wonderful to have you here this morning. Go ahead. Turn to somebody. Say good morning. Yeah, exactly. I feel, uh, all right, that's enough. Enough. Enough kindness. Stop it. Stop being so nice. Stop it. You know, I have had people, you know, we actually have had people leave our church because they felt like we were too loving. I don't know if you've felt that. If you're new, you probably have. Like, these people, like, swarm around you. And I got to, I want to share real quick before we get into the message. There's some intentionality behind that. You know, years ago, we decided to be a heart and not just sort of hands. We wanted to have the heart behind it, that every believer in our church is a greeter. They don't have to wear the blue shirt. We have those blue shirts there so we don't miss anybody and that we make sure that people are, are loved. But everybody in the body of Christ is here to encourage one another. And so uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Matthew 18. We're talking about the life of Jesus. And something special to me uh, this morning in particular is this topic. We're going to talk about one in a hundred. Jesus had this parable he used for... Uh, a couple different things. It's interesting, people often we think of a parable and then we associate it to a story, but we don't always think of a parable as being multi-use. And yet Jesus used this particular parable in a very multi-use way. And Jesus himself was called to uh, be the one who would to seek and save the lost. He was seeking out people. We talked a little bit about that the last week or two. That he was looking for faith. He was looking for the faithful. He was looking for those who would love God. He seeks out that. He also seeks out lost people. People who don't know where to go. He looks for the one in 100. I want to encourage you, and I'm hoping if by the end of the message you understand this, that I would love to have you see with the eyes of Jesus. 
Jesus would step into a room and he would see the one in the 100. So many of us, we get just so acquainted to things, we just keep going down the road, we don't even look at those by us, we don't see those around us, and we lose sight of the one that is in the 100. And today, I'd like to, to not do that. Today, I, I'd like you to maybe pause in your life and say, am I a person, what am I looking at? What do I look for? Am I all looking at self-interest? Is it all about me, or do I really look for Christ's heart? Am I looking for that person that is that one in a hundred? And Jesus did this in a phenomenal way in this section. His disciples, he was, he was surrounded by crowds still. They were traveling to different places. And his disciples along the way were debating who's the greatest in heaven. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? Who's, who's the greatest? You know, it's interesting. Um, I could totally see us doing that today like, you know, who's going to be the best in heaven, you know? <laughs> and it's just such a ridiculous question looking back into the life of Jesus. But it was a very real question for them. So in, in chapter 18, verse 1, he says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They had been discussing among themselves. They then brought it to Jesus. And Jesus called a little child them, placed the child among them, and he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This got me thinking. Because unlike some words in the Greek, this word for children, there are many words for children, several, that define exactly what kind of child we are talking about. And only a child can really preach this message back. And so I, I've asked for a child among you, a wonderful little girl, and her name is Maggie. Maggie, could you join me this morning? This is Maggie Lou. She is a precious little thing. How are you? How are you doing? Good? What I want you to do is I want you to sit right here on this stool and look beautiful. You want a hand? You got it? Wow, you're pretty good. <laughs> Maggie Lou. Maggie Lou will be our one. And this is what Jesus did. Listen to the story he told. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, followers of Jesus, those who believe in me to stumble, if you lead them into any sin, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world itself because of the things that cause people to stumble, to, to fall into sin. Such things must come, but woe to the person through who they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away, it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise, you do not look down on one of these little ones. 
For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Thank you. You're done. Very good message. Jesus loves people, but do we see the little ones in this world? Little faith. Believers young in their faith, the little ones. In this story, he teaches us three things that are beautiful out of Matthew. First, what God sees as great is faith. Faith and humility like a child and the one who welcomes them. That's what's great to God. Did you see Maggie? Children are humble. Innocent in some ways, maybe. Vulnerable. But they have faith. Maggie trusted me. Well, I told her parents to help her to trust me. She trusts her parents. What God sees as great is the faith of a humble child. And we, as a church, we who will welcome those who are humble. The other thing he teaches us here is that there is a woe, a, a, a warning, a careful warning, a, a warning of despair to those who would cause us to sin in this world, including uh, people that we get angry at, people that lead their children into sin. There's a woe, there's a warning to that. In this world, there are things that lead you into sin. And as you grow older, you realize there are many temptations, and temptations will come. But woe not only to this world, but woe to those who cause those temptations to come. You know, it's one thing to give in to temptation. It's another thing to be the source of that temptation. Kids, if you're in high school, college, you know these temptations. Come on, man, let's go party. The issue is who's saying it. Is it you? Where's the temptation coming from? And he gives a stern warning of woe because when you lead these little ones astray, these are my children. They see the face of God through their angels. And then he says, what makes God happy is when you bring back a brother or sister who wanders away like a lost sheep. Because he does not want to see anyone perish. He doesn't want to see you destroy your life. He doesn't want to see you into uh, fire eternal. It's never been God's desire for that. He doesn't want one of them to perish. You see, the true heart of God will see the searching soul. It'll see the lost soul, the wandering soul. And he sits there, and I love that illustration. Just having a child up here shows us so strongly how powerful that is. Who in here wants to hurt her? Who in here wants to bring her into sin? 
Woe to you that you would think of such things. To be an example to our children. But he wasn't just talking about children, was he? In fact, he was talking about all those who believe. Do you welcome believers who are young in their faith, old in their faith? He was also talking about the believers who wander, who are tempted and struggle and, and, and they, they want to wander off in their faith. And he says to us, as his church, he says, we need to welcome and reach out and go after them. Because it's like the one sheep that goes astray and we need to pursue that. You're happy if you find them and you bring them back. Because Jesus saw and had eyes for lost sheep. Do you? Or do we just see the lost and say, ah, oh, they're lost. There's nothing we can do about it. You're at school. Ah, oh, they're going to cuss. Ah, oh, they're going to take drugs. Is that your attitude? You're at work. Ah, oh, they're going to live like they want to live. Or do you see a real eye for the lost, the wandering believer? You see, this isn't the only time that Jesus spoke about lost sheep. Notice the next time he would say the same parable to a different audience. In this audience, he had tax collectors and sinners who were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, this is what they muttered. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. This man welcomes people who are of ill repute or people you shouldn't hang out with and he eats with them. Now listen carefully to me before I say this. Jesus brought them into his world. He did not allow himself to get sucked into their world. Bad company corrupts good morals. But Jesus, when you were in the company of Jesus, he influenced you. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country, open and undefended? 99 of them can fend for themselves better than this lost one, right? He leaves them in the open country and he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it, doesn't he? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and they say, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to turn and change. He had the eyes for the one in the 100. And we don't like to get uncomfortable. When the sheep wanders off, or the lost are out there. We don't want to go out there and leave the 99. The 99 are comfortable. He teaches us in this story something very intentional. That God is happy when sinners change and turn to him for salvation. God, this makes God happy. Remember what Jesus came for? To seek and save what? That which is lost. Have you ever lost something really valuable? What's your attitude finding it? Have you ever lost something really valuable? How was your attitude towards finding it? I don't know about you. My attitude is ferocious when I lose something very valuable. 
Where did I put that? Where's it at? I got to find that. Over and over again. That should be your attitude to wandering sheep. That should be your attitude to the lost person who lives next to you or you go to school with. The good shepherd, he teaches us these things. In fact, it's interesting. Your life should reach those who don't know him while following him with faith and humility, not desiring even the littlest one to be lost or wander away. Do you want her to wander away? Do you want her to be lost? You see, the picture of the lost sheep goes back to the picture of the child that goes back to the picture of the believer and the unbeliever. Have you seen it? Nobody wants to do that to that person. Nobody in their right mind. And yet so often that's exactly what we do. Listen, how many times do you see people or know people in your life that wander away and sometimes you can't stop them, sometimes you, you, you chase after them and you, you seek them and they, they just don't want to come back? Uh, but have you tried? That's the issue. Have you tried? Did you, did you make real honest effort as though you had lost something of value? Because if that was my child, and that child got lost, and I knew that you went out and you looked around a couple places and came back, and you didn't give it a real honest try, and then you're trying to tell me that that child's important, but you just, oh yeah, I tried a couple spots. I'd say, what are you, crazy? You've got to look around. The lost need to be found. That's what Jesus was getting at. He had a powerful way of, of bringing into life story and illustration. Because he was the good shepherd. And I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. Did they know he was going to be crucified? No. Had he told them? Yes. Did they believe it? No. If I told you when you pursue lost and wandering sheep that they're going to spit in your eye, they're going to hurt your feelings, they're going to absorb your time, and sometimes you'll feel like they're just abusing you, are you going to believe that? No. You're going to think that you go out and help somebody who's lost, and they're just going to love you back. But when you go out and you search out and you seek out after that one, and when you have Jesus' eyes and you see the one out of the hundred, and you say, I need, I need to go after that person, I need to pursue that person, that's the person Jesus would want. So many people, they say, you need to be led by the Spirit. Okay, let's tell you this. What do you think the Spirit will tell you when one person comes through the door of this building who's lost or wandering? And you find out because you're nice and you're kind and you greeted him. What's the spirit? Does the spirit have to yell at you? I don't even think the spirit has to talk. Just has to hit you on the side of the head. Hey, stupid, there. You know, so many people, they want to be moved by the spirit. Sometimes I just want to, there, boom, boom, boom. That person over there, boom, you know, go, go. You know, it's not rocket science at that point. If it's the heart of the good shepherd, to reach the sheep and to love the lost. What is our heart supposed to be? Do we need an instruction manual? Then here it is. Seek after it like you lost something of value that was beautiful. Like one of these little ones. Have the heart of a good shepherd. You know what I love about this age, by the way? Jesus was, was brilliant. 
when he uses the word child and he brought a child up in their midst, this child was between the age of four and seven. And between the age of four and seven, what's amazing and fascinating about the mind is your mind doesn't understand abstract ideas, like death. Death is something learned right around seven or eight years old, the mind as it develops. Between the age of four and seven, you have a child who even when Jesus was saying it's better for a millstone to be stuck around your neck and you go into hell, the child didn't even understand what he was saying. But all of the adults would. He knew that at that age, children are highly impressionable. So when they're in the home and all of a sudden you're sinning in front of them, they're highly impressionable. What are you doing? That's the age that's so valuable. You see, that's Jesus' sheep. We need to keep that heart of a child. We need to allow God to impress on our hearts and souls. Uh, you know, when, when you look back and you think, boy, it'd be nice to be a child, usually you think about the innocence, right? Like, oh, I just remember when everything was perfect and I didn't know anything about news channels, you know, that kind of thing. And it's interesting to me, your perspective changes, you know? You go to Disneyland as a child, and it's magnificent, and you just want to touch everything, and everything is, it's a, it's a happiest place on earth. Now, I don't know how you actually figure that out, but anyways, I've been there some days, and I'm going, they ain't happy. Um, but it's, it's supposed to be this, and you want to touch everything, and then how funny how your perspective changes. You become an adult, and your children do that, and what do you end up saying? Don't touch that. I actually had to catch myself. I swear, I had to catch myself. My kids, they started touching. And I was like, and I said, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. Okay, you can touch whatever you want, but just wash your hands before you touch your mouth. That's what my rule was. But I, I heard my parents coming out of me. You ever done that? It's like they, ooh, it's like you're. So the reality is that perspective is beautiful because it allows you to have imagination. It's, it's the age when they're four, when they're drawing pictures of mom and dad and you know, dad's got a little head and real long legs because they're way down here and you're way up there. Isn't that the way you should see God? Because if you think you've got God figured out, man, you're on the opposite side of a very bad stick. Because the reality is God is awesome and wonderful and we should still have that heart, that mind, that moldable desire to see God more and more and more because he is greater than anything you could ever imagine. You should be like one of these. Nobody will enter the kingdom of heaven unless they have that. Unless you see God as bigger than. So what is it we can learn? Very simply, is we learn to lay down our lives more for the right thing. For the right thing. Humbly follow and care for others. Keep them from wandering. Care for others. Man, if you're in high school and you see your kid, you know, a guy that says he's a Christian and he's going off doing drugs or he's going off wanting to cuss and all this other stuff, approach him and say, don't do that, man. Don't go there. Don't, just because everybody goes there doesn't mean you have to do that. That's not what Jesus would want. You be that person that, that seeks them out. Don't let them wander off. Make God happy. You care for others. Same is true in a church. Same is true in life. 
do you have the eyes to see the one? Have you ever just gone to church? I challenge you. Just come to church sometimes, sit down, and keep your eyes for one person. Don't look for the hundred. Look for the one. And look for the one that seems the most dejected, the most rejected, the most out of place, the most concerned, the most troubled. And you go up to there, and you love that person. The person that may be totally opposite of you. Maybe they're brand new, and you just want to make them feel welcome. Maybe they just look like they've had a terrible week. One. Trust Jesus enough to follow him and lay down your life for the lost. It'll feel like you're getting crucified. You, you, you haven't really lived Jesus until you feel the nails or some sort of scarring or some sort of splinter in your back. You just, you just haven't lived yet. And I'm not saying that because it's some sort of martyrdom. I'm saying that because when you really learn and live and begin to love people, and intentionally love people, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people, they come in, they say, oh, I don't want, I need to, I'm just going to stop. I go, what do you mean? Well, I'm trying to love this person, and they're not letting me. <laughs> and I almost laugh, because I could tell you right then and there, this is a believer who never read the verse, take up your what? And follow Who? Did you not get the memo? Was he not clear? Did the sun not rise? You know, that kind of thing. And I realize we've been raised in a church of fluff and stuff. Fluff and stuff. It hasn't challenged us. The challenge is when Jesus says, you see the one, you go after that and you leave all 99 and you pursue that one, you love that one, you intentionally sacrifice your life for that one person. Trust Jesus enough to follow him, to lay down your life for the lost. And if they reject you, then they reject who? Think about it. If they reject you, they reject who? Jesus. Well, then let them reject Jesus. You know, too many of us, when people reject us, it's because we're acting like what? Yeah. You did something stupid, so <laughs> you're like, of course people are going to treat me that way. But you act like Jesus. And then they treat you that way? Look for the one in a hundred. Uh, it's not I, the truth. Harshly spoken by a pastor. Not harsh, just true. You can hear this preached. You can whatever. It's your choice. You have to make a conscious decision to walk out of this building and say, I will have the heart of, and the eyes of Jesus and look for the one who is lost. Nobody can give you that I can't give that to you. I can implore you. I can plead with you. I can ask you, please find one person. Play, put, put a place in your life for one person. An hour of your life for one person. The lost. But I can't, I can't totally force you to do it. I mean, I don't want to. I want you to have the heart of Jesus, too. I want you to see the heart of God. I don't, I don't want you to go out there and say, you know, oh, God, why did you do this to me, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going, no, God gave you every opportunity in the world. You just refused to do what he wanted you to do. God loves every person very, 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 is that enough? Much. That he would leave 99 to reach one. And that's kind of our marching orders. 
is tough. And we often fail because we don't know what we're doing. We're not used to it. We don't know what a sheep is like when you corner it and you got to pull it back into the flock. We're not used to them. Nobody's tried. I, I think it would be interesting to see. Because if it was a young child, not just Maggie, but any young child, if it was a young child that was lost in our church, maybe lost in the facility or lost in this area, our, I know what would happen with the people in this church. We would be all over this warehouse. I'm serious. I know you guys enough to say we would be everywhere, and I would be very, very happy because you would be the hands and feet of Jesus. But how about the person that slips in, stays silent, lives in pain? How about the person that just, they don't want to be found? They don't want their sins found out. But yet they're, they're hurting for salvation. Or maybe their soul is being tempted by sin. And I pray it's never coming from this room or these people. I pray you are never the source of their temptation. It would be better for a millstone around your neck. But what about those people that are a little harder to find or the, you got 99 and you're missing what's one sheep among 99 you ever felt that way you ever felt like a widget in a church oh it's, you haven't lived some people want to be a widget as though you can hide from god they, they want to be like i want to go to church and nobody knows me well then why would you want god to know you they do want to be known it's just how we approach them, you know? You don't want to be scary. Some Christians are scary. Can I just say that? Serious. Some Christians are scary. And it's okay. Why? Because they haven't learned yet. They're growing too. So you need to show a little grace, even for the scary ones. But we need to learn to love one another. You know, the only way I know that you could do that is by doing it. Making mistakes. Rubbing elbows. Letting people get to know you. Going deeper places, not with 100 people, one. My desire for you as a pastor is that maybe you would have the eyes of Jesus to see just one person, not 100, but ask God to show you one that is wandering or lost or just needs your love and your welcome, and then you would have welcomed the least of these. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in your grace and in your favor and in your love, you have poured out your life. You are the good shepherd. You did lay down your life for your sheep. And we uh, should model that. Father, you care for those who are hurting. We should be the ones, when we're at school, that go out of our way to protect, that go out of our way to uh, help uh, other students avoid sin. We should be the, the guy and gals at work that that go out of our way to love the, our fellow employees. We should be the ones right here in this community that go after one. Father, give us your heart for that story, for these people. Give us your heart for these children, these little ones, for those who believe, who have turned to you. Give us your heart for ministry 
And may we live a little more and walk a little more like you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Stand with us for one last.